Oh, I'm Jack. I'm a compulsive overeater. <laughs> oh, Lord. It's been a very strange week. Um, uh, a friend of my wife's from elementary school died this week. And then um, uh, a woman who was important in my life uh, died. She was 100 years old. And uh, she was the mother of the woman my father dated for over 20 years. So uh, she was involved in my life that way. And then my grand sponsor, uh, for those of you who remember Natalie, uh, passed away this week. And uh, she's last, uh, one of the last of the, the, of the old good guys. And, uh, and not to start out on a, on, a, on a funny note after that heavy note. One of the first meetings I ever went to, she was speaking. And I said, what am I going to learn from a fairly elderly, even then, this was 30 years ago, she was old, she was old in the early 80s. Uh, um, <laughs> gives you a rough idea. Um, and she started off by saying she was an elementary school teacher. And that that day, and she had this demeanor to her that I enshrined all um, Altabubas, uh, old grandmothers of my faith. Uh, so they were all very dignified, and they didn't swear, and they were just angelic. So Natalie started out by saying she had a really tough day and she took one of those fucking kids and she wanted, she wanted to grab one of those kids and hang them up by the coat claw, in the, by the jacket in the back. And I said, I'm going to like it here. And uh, <laughs> that's the last piece of silliness I, I, I got. I got a lot of wisdom after that. But I, I feel humble today because I have a hard time knowing right size. And uh, I've been very big in my life and felt very small. And as I was driving here today, I realized that uh, I dissociated so much in my early life that I re- forget parts. I remember parts very, very well, but I forgot parts. The part that's relevant to here is I was fat as a little kid and always felt I was different. I grew up less than a mile from right here, away from Beverly Hills. We were adjacent. Um, and, re- and, and well aware of the difference. Um, and I was about 30 pounds overweight and it was, it was painful. And it was painful for all the reasons that Kids overweight can feel pain. Kids, a lot of different things can feel pain. I don't know that the girl with the artificial hand felt any better. I don't know that the people with the thick glasses felt better, or the inordinately tall ones, or the inordinately short ones, or the uh, the women who developed younger than than the rest. Of I don't know that any of them. Uh, there was two non-Jews in my class. There was one African American. I mean, so you know, they tell me years later that they felt really less than and different than. So maybe we all had it, but then mine got worse. Uh, when I went to junior high there were more tall people and there were more African Americans and there were more non-Jews and it kind of but my fatness uh, just got fatter and uh, all of a sudden I remember things like stealing food I remember volunteering to be on the, uh, the, the, the cafeteria committee because we got first access and uh, first responder I was a first responder uh, <laughs> a pre-responder <laughs> See, there are new lines sometimes, Peter. Um, and then I went to high school and it got worse. And there was a bigger disparity between how my body looked and how I felt. And I have a big personality, so I could hide it well. I had friends, so I could hide it well. Uh, but then I had one more. I had an event. Not all of us have events. I had an event. My mom died uh, unexpectedly to me. So the way my family worked was my dad didn't tell me. He didn't tell my sister didn't tell my mother that my mother was dying and then on Mother's Day in 1967 going on you know 50 years soon uh, she was alive one day and not alive the other and I never conceptualized that that uh, 
that that parents that that mothers die. Uh, we didn't know dead mothers. We had no divorces when I was. I mean, my community had no nothing. Um, there was no alcoholism in those days, especially in the Jewish community. There was no divorce, especially in the Jewish community. There was no. There was nothing in the Jewish community. Um, neuroses, but uh, <laughs> but, no, but, but no but no deaths or divorce. Goldfish died, cats died, dogs died, grandparents sometimes died, but not mothers. And so then I had another reason to be different, and I really felt different. I felt uh, I was in a subgroup of one. And um, so I began to just disconnect uh, and eat. I went to a Hebrew school on 3rd and Flores, which is still uh, the Institute of Jewish Education, a place where we did have meetings many, many years ago. And all that was important to me, uh, other than wrestling with Michael, uh, who went to Hebrew school with me, other than that was going to Ratner's Deli. And we'd go at the break, we had five minutes, and we would take 15, and we'd get in trouble, and it was worth every, every calorie of it. And we'd go there, and all we do was eat. And then we'd come back, like hung over for the second half of class with the chocolate milk, potato chips, and uh, salami sticks and pickles. And um, <laughs> nutrition, we, all, we, all, we covered all the major food groups. And, um, <laughs> and, and, and then some. And um, I got in trouble a lot because I am very, I don't, I, no, no diagnoses, but to say that this is me on decaf coffee. So picture what I'm like on, on like diet pills and caffeine. It's like <laughs> not pretty, not pretty. Um, and if you think it's hard to be around me for 15, 20 minutes at a time, 24-7, it's, 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 it's challenging. Um, so then my mom died, I'm fat, and I hit 305 pounds uh, at UCLA, which um, takes you into... 299 was scary, because that's a very big member of the 200-pound club. Um, it's like, you know, as much as I wanted to hold on to 49 and 39, <laughs> 59, uh, I really wanted to hold on to 299, but I couldn't hold on to any weight for very long. And uh, so after a good weekend, it was 305, and it's limitless. It's just limitless, and I even conceptualized it then. Not like since I've been here, because since I've been here, there's a bunch of us who have met uh, uh, 600-pound men, 500-pound women, who have lived and, 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 and died in this program. Uh, Two of the very, 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 very good ones over the years, uh, Murray and Manny, um, both passed away. You know, uh, uh, related to the disease, heart attack, uh, diabetes. I mean, you know, that's, and neither one of them were 60 when they died. And so, uh, outside happy, outside big, inside uh, suicidal at times, wanting to figure out how people committed suicide. I would drive around Century City and wonder, how do you jump out of a building that has no open, openable windows? And I was sitting around. I went to law school, which, um, again, somewhere in the Old Testament, it is a requirement. It's, it's, it's the 11th commandment for all Jewish men and my generation and now Jewish men and women also. And so I went to law school and that just made it work. I lost 100 pounds at UCLA. And this is a canned line, but it's true. I really did get a new girlfriend, a new car, a new briefcase, and a new suit. And I was symptom-free. Ergo, I was problem free and then I got to law school and um, started drinking and I started stealing Valium from my father's the trunk of his car and he had been stashing it and hoarding it left over from my mom who was already long gone and, and I gained back 100 pounds in law school and the only way for me to tolerate doing that was to dissociate because I, I watched my life pass before my eyes and from where I came from, if you weren't a doctor, a lawyer, or an accountant, 
you were a Shonda, you were a shame to the family. And that's just the way it was. And I already had like, you know, three strikes against me. And again, the disparity kept getting bigger and bigger. And inside my life was uh, frightening. And outside, I just bebopped along. And then when I didn't make it in the law world, so now I've had 200 pound weight losses and gains. I've got a dead mother. I'm still wearing a crew cut, which, you know, was not hip then. I couldn't tuck in my shirt tails and they weren't square bottoms. Um, I couldn't climb a rope, which still left over from you know, being traumatized in junior high school by the, uh, the jock football coach. Uh, and to this day, I've not needed one, one event in my life has ever required climbing a rope up to the, I, mean, I don't know if non-Jews have this issue, but Jews have never been asked ever to climb a rope and go to the top. <laughs> the corporate ladder, maybe, but not a rope. Um, and so I... Um, I floundered for four and a half years and I learned new techniques of dissociating because I uh, entered a career in sales of life insurance, which I, to epitomize how much I believed in it, I never bought any in four and a half years. I buy what I sell here every minute of every day. So I buy it, makes it easy to sell, I give it away. But when you don't buy any, it, it makes a statement about how committed you are to it. And I, I was as committed as not buying it indicated. Um, and it was the last hope for me uh, because it was white collar I could wear a suit and a briefcase and, and drive around I used to go to West Covina and claim I was going to um, uh, see agents of New York Life Insurance Company and there was a bowling alley there and I'd sit and play pinball I'd stand and play pinball machine pinball for two, three hours and drink Diet Coke and then make up names of agents at New York Life so this is my whole life was 100% a sham it was a, a scam and a sham and then somebody asked me recently what happened. I said, I don't know. I called Betty. And Betty was a woman who had been my employer uh, in one of the insurance jobs. And I said, I'm dying here. What do I do? And she didn't know anything about anything. And she said, I don't know. I've just heard about a thing called a club called Overeaters Anonymous. Uh, I heard it's got something to do with Alcoholics Anonymous, which I, had, I mean, I maybe had heard of. But I knew Weight Watchers. I knew Diet Pills. I knew uh, 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 Liquid Protein. I knew Metrical. I knew, uh, 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 you know, that's what I knew. That's what you did. I knew half a grapefruit. I knew half a slice of toast. I knew a fracata hard-boiled egg. I knew uh, Clarence Hunter, the, uh, the guy who gave the little bags of speed, uh, Robertson and Wilshire. That's what I knew. Because <laughs> his, daughter, his daughter was beautiful. And I got to get the pills. And I reached across that plexiglass uh, doctor's waiting room window. And it was like, it was like the cathedral. I, I, I heard music when I reached out to touch her hands. And got, and got, and got speed. It was, it was incredible. Um, I had no responsibility. My dad was a codependent. And uh, he gave me everything he thought I needed, which was a credit card. And we didn't have a lot of money. We were, he was a government worker, so we didn't have a lot. But I never had to work. I, he, tried to buffer me, he tried to buffer me from the pain. But he couldn't. And... Um, so I came to the program, and I don't really know what's happened in 33 years. Uh, what I do know is I haven't left. And I, I can say in good conscience, actually, if you connect the dots nowadays, and this is, I, I'm, I'm humble about this, I'm not bragging about this. Um, Terrell, who's been my sponsor for over 20-something years, busted me about three or four years ago, and uh, the phrase was something like, you're going to program, but you're not working a program. And after I told him to go fuck himself, um, um, and then I called him back three minutes late the next morning and had an argument with him that what's the damn difference if it's 7 or 7.03? And I realized there was a difference. And uh, I call 
virtually every day now, Monday through Friday. And I see him virtually every Saturday. And I write virtually every day, Monday through Saturday. And I read it to him virtually every day, Monday through Saturday. And I call him virtually every time by 7 o'clock. And there's not an excuse when I'm late anymore. He's also taught me, I can say, I mean, when I call it 7.10 and gave him a 20-minute expose and rundown of my day the day before, if he's not falling asleep, I don't know why, because it's all bullshit. It's all bullshit. There's a page in the uh, third edition of the big book, which we don't have. That's about honesty. <laughs> because the third edition is an older edition. If any of you have access to it, or if not, I'll, I, I keep copies. Actually, I might even have some in my car. Uh, it's about honesty. Page 482, third edition, in the story, Bell of the Bar. And she talks about getting honest with herself, which will be the easiest word in the English language to know what it means, because it, all it, she has to do is look at the exact opposite of everything she's done in her entire life. So he busted me. So now I call him every day and I write every day and I read it to him every day. And I'm studying the traditions, which of, of all the things, that's been the most fun. Because I have seen violation after violation after violation and I'm learning what I'm allowed to do, what I'm supposed to do. And I said to him recently, well, should I, if somebody is violating the, the traditions from the podium, I mean, nobody will like me if I speak up and the consensus is nobody cares. And, and, and the next day's reading was about a woman who uh, was in the position of having to speak up. And the speaker made it easy and said, I'd like to share something, which is outside literature, but if nobody minds, I'll share it. And nobody minded. And I'm reading today's paragraph to find out what she did, but I know what she did. Because despite the fact that uh, nobody cared, and despite the fact that the speaker was so nice about it, and despite the fact that um, um, it was probably valuable sharing, um, it shouldn't have been shared at a meeting. And I got to do that uh, uh, in a meeting recently, and I didn't do it obnoxiously. Uh, and I was proud of myself because I got to know something. And it's because I'm not a very good reader. I don't know how to read very well. It made law school very tough. But let me tell you what I did right other than I came here. I got honest, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly, about everything. I think what's got me to get honest-ish, honest-er more lately was something Michael used to say when he described his food. He'd say he shares with another human being the exact nature of his food. And then I remember Michael L., who used to talk about what was not you want to talk about. And he'll go like this. What do I want to talk about? And invariably it would be about sex or his food. And so what did he talk about? Son of a gun would talk about the sex or the food. Whatever was pressing, he was talking about it from the podium. Well, I must have had some of that. I got bitten by that early. Because early on, I was told to complain, to fetch about everything that bothers you. And uh, they asked for it. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I come from a long line of fetchers and I can do that with, 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 with panache. I almost said with relish. I can do that with relish. Do it with ketchup also. Um, no, we don't eat ketchup because it's got sugar. I know. Anyway, I, so the first day in program, I, had a, uh, I wrote down a food plan. The speaker was nuts. Uh, he was my sponsor for six years. He was nuts. But he had been fat. He was thin. He uh, was married, which I thought, how in God's earth do you do that? And um, he was funny. He actually was at the time a professional uh, stand-up. A very, very unsuccessful professional stand-up. And, um, and, <laughs> but he wised up and gave that up. Um, so he was my sponsor for six years. I wrote out a food plan that day. And look, here's, my, here's the dilemma if you're new. One, I spoke to three credible men in the very beginning. I didn't know Terrell then. 
uh, there were three credible men. I went up to one guy who said, get your food in order and everything will be fine. One guy said, get right by God and everything will be fine. And the third one said, you walk those steps and everything will be fine. And they were all like, you know, had lost 8,000 pounds in the last hour and a half. They were, they were all sober and alcoholic for like 75 years when AA was like, you know, 12. And they were all very credible, functioning, reasonably sane men. Um, I did the one that I could do. I knew how to diet. So I got a food plan, I wrote it down, and you know what the funny thing is, is the food plan has remained unchanged, for good or for bad. Now, I got down too thin. I found a picture of me and Natalie I showed to uh, a couple people yesterday. I probably got down, my normal weight now is a high 180s. I got down to 158, and I looked terrible. It was great, um, <laughs> because I was skinny. And uh, Mario would give everybody would buy a shirt. Every man would wear a, buy a shirt that fit for a minute and a half. Then they'd like drink water, and then it wouldn't fit anymore. And they'd give it to me, and I, you know, walk around with my boys' medium. You know, I, I, I didn't wear. I was born a boys' medium. I mean, I, I had worn that size since my onesie. Uh, uh, and I, you know what? I loved it. I looked like shit, and I bruised a lot. And uh, it was in the early 80s, so every third person assumed I was HIV positive, and uh, uh, I didn't care. I didn't care. I might not even have cared at that time if I was. What I cared about is I was skinny, and that lasted for as long as it lasted. And uh, I still eat three meals a day. I'm not involved with abstinence. Versus, I, I can evolve my program and my definitions because you got to do with the times, but I eat three meals a day. Some of them are pretty. Many of them are pretty. Some of them less pretty. Uh, I don't eat sugar, uh, and I don't eat uh, bread, and I don't drink because I used to drink like a fish, and though I've probably been to three Alcoholics Anonymous meetings, I don't call myself recovering alcoholic because I haven't had to do anything, but I haven't had a drink since, uh, oh, since uh, uh, 1980, and I'm better off because at 300 pounds I was doing a fair amount of drinking, and you can hold it at 300, or not. I, was, I, fall, asleep, I fall asleep driving. I did the fall asleep driving and stuff like that. So since I fetched about that, um, I've had a lot of miracles in this program. I'm slow with the God stuff, but I am not. Um, um, I don't have contempt, and it's not without investigation anymore. Uh, I don't understand it. I want to conceptualize it different. So Terrell's been massaging that for 20-something years. My second sponsor worded it that she said I came to know a source of information within me that, if accessed and honored and implemented, would allow me to function at a higher level than I've ever functioned before. Higher, small h maybe, p power, small h. Uh, I can't, but I can't. And you know what? I know. I know who to hug. I know which women's phone numbers not to take. Um, I know what business things to do. Uh, ethics. And it's not just because I went to law school. It's not just because I, I, I'm. This this program has reattached me a little bit to my Judaism. I take a class. I've been taking a Chabad classes now for eight or nine years. Uh, because it gives me something. I went to the high holidays. I fasted this year. Uh, um, I sometimes do. In the beginning, I didn't because I was an emphatic. Three meals a day, nothing in between, no matter what. Food is my medicine. And, uh, you know, I was emphatic about a lot of things. But I don't wiggle on my, on my food plan at all. Uh, but what the last few years have been about is the steps and God and, and God and the steps and realizing, I mean, I, I was touched when the Pope was in town. I was touched when the Dalai Lama was here. 
Uh, I'm not particularly, I mean, my office is on the west side, but I'm, nobody would call me particularly woo-woo. But, you know, I was trained in my field in the, uh, in the era, era of um, stuffed animals and stuff like that. And, you know, I became one of those kind of people for many years. And, uh, and uh, that's okay. I, I help people today and, and uh, I have, a, I have a, a calling and I have a desire to do it and I make a good living doing it and I'm grateful. Terrell hears about the gunk every morning, but the truth is, when I was thinking driving in, um, my life is very good. I'm reasonably healthy. I just had elbow surgery and that's my biggest complaint at 63. Most of my friends are uh, my age, you know, are bald and fat. And, um, and, 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 the men, and the men don't look much better. Um, uh, oh, oh, oh. Um, but, uh, hey, you go to a reunion of my high school 45 years later. It, it's not pretty. But you know what? And some of it I've done something about. And some of it is, is you know, I guess my, my maternal grandfather had good hair. So I've got hair, uh, which, you know, great. But I, I know I'm powerless over food. I'm powerless over my wife. Um, I've been married now for 14 years and uh, sometimes it's a very, very good marriage and sometimes it's not and what I can look at and most of the time kind of sort of do except when I'm leaking to him is my part and uh, what I've learned here is that if in the past if you and I were having a fight in the past and you were 1% wrong and I was 99% wrong I would try to focus on your 1% and now what I'm learning and I can't forget it because I talk to him every day and the big book if, if you and I are having a fight and you're 99% wrong and I'm 1% wrong, all I can do is look at my 1% and work on changing that. And so, you know, uh, I had to tell a psychiatrist yesterday that I disagreed with something she did. You know, I'm just a, 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 a ex-fat guy from the hood, I tell people. I'm just an ex-fat guy from the Jewish, from the shtetl. And uh, uh, I, I don't come equipped with a lot of self-esteem. Uh, because when self-esteem is formed, uh, I was I was not being I was not willing to look at people in the eye. I just couldn't make eye contact. And um, so you know I'm a work in progress. And uh, though I make a lot of noise, uh, when 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 the, when the party's over, I still have to deal with the same boogeyman and, and demons that we all do. And what program's given me is an opportunity to do that. I changed careers because I complained about my disdain, and I was willing to take action. Faith without works is dead. So I can't just pray. I got to keep rowing, as they say in the little in the little boat. You know, if if the boat's going down, uh, keep praying, but keep rowing. You know, uh, uh, I I got to do the footwork, and uh, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. I struggle with food sometimes, and just about the exact same time, Terrell's probably sick of hearing it. I get sick of saying it, and uh, then foods get lifted, and now foods that were issues three years ago, five years ago, ten years ago, most of them aren't, and there'll be new ones. And there often are new ones. And it's, 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 uh, I don't say recovered. I'm proudly a recovering overeater. And in professional fields, there are plenty of people who are very devoted to the notion, we are recovered. Uh, first of all, when I read the big book, I didn't see the argument there. I saw them expressed both ways. You hear recovering through the big book? And it starts out with, we're a hundred men and women who have, you know, recovered from a, oh my gosh, hi. Um, so, if you're new, um, I haven't talked about the steps much. I haven't talked about a lot of things very much, but uh, this meeting has is, is, uh, also got questions and answers. And if you're new, just keep coming back. Uh, don't quit before your miracle. And I will end with, I don't care the people who don't like me saying it are not here, so the hell with them. I wear a dreidel. I won't even hide it. I don't have time. And the dreidel is a little thing that spins and it's got letters on it and it stands for a phrase in another language, which I won't mention, that says the four words, great, the great miracle happened here. And uh, you know what? 
I, I think that's true uh, for us. And so if you're new, just keep coming back. Thank you. Oh, this is the time for questions only. There's no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that my opinions are just mine and not those of OA as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. Uh, please remember, if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. If being recorded, please restate the question after it is asked. Okay. Questions other than from Terrell? Then, <laughs> thanks. Yeah, yeah. My uh, about 20 years ago, 15 years ago, I was at a hospital program in Culver City at a, um, a workshop, and one of the speakers, which happened to be um, Carl. Hi, Carl. How are you? Um, hope you're having fun in Florida. Uh, Carl was speaking there, and he got up and said that when he gets into his car in the morning, at um, he lived in West Hollywood, and he drove to, I think he was working at LAX already, he doesn't turn on the radio, which he loves to do, is turn on the radio. And he just prays and meditates to the best of his ability without obviously closing his eyes or falling asleep, because that's highly frowned upon. Um, and that's where he gets his time with God alone. Uh, I'm pretty hyper and I'm very my life is very busy it's, I've got things all the time uh, some of which are necessities with my work and many of which are, are probably avoiding behavior but um, when I get up I, I literally I'm showered and eaten and out and dressed in 20 something minutes and I like to get over the hill, which <laughs> I'm doing anyway. Um, um, I like to get from the valley to the city uh, early, because that way I can get to my office and just be quiet. And um, I use that time. Uh, I also take naps during the day, but before I nap, I use the time to be quiet, to not fall asleep, and to just talk to God. Uh, this morning I did something which I have not done very often. My father with whom I had a magnificent relationship for the last 20 years and a horrendous one for the first 35 in many ways who passed away uh, three years ago I out loud spoke to him and I'm not a big out loud person to, to, to pray or to talk to, to the dead I'd go to Hillside Cemetery for many years after my mom died and try to talk to her and I just couldn't I couldn't do it it just seemed I was looking back to see are the voices in my head bothering you and it was just too weird but I actually talked to God sometimes out loud and I, today I talked to my dad and just uh, told him that I thanked him for stuff so a lot of the stuff is more like that um, I read the little books I've got five of them on my uh, office desk and it used to be I, I would not only read uh, uh, program reading but I would read readings of my religion that were tied into this so I wanted them to be spiritual. There's a particular rabbi, for example, that weaves in not only uh, uh, Jewish stuff, but actually from a 12-step perspective. And I don't know if he's in a 12-step program or not. It may be known that he is. I, I just don't know. And so I read that. And, um, and uh, that's, that's, that's my routine. Um, uh, my wife said that you could drop me off with... Did you say also what I eat? Uh, my wife drops, said you could drop him off at a 7-Eleven 
three times a day with three or four dollars and he'd find a way to find a satisfying meal that would be as healthy as you can get in a 7-Eleven. Uh, my eating is pretty simple. I'm not a fan. I, you know, I, I don't come from fancy. I don't know fancy. I don't need fancy. And so, um, you know, I'm just a, a, a meat and potato sort of guy with not too much potatoes anymore. So, that's what I do. Yeah, Ellie. Um, would you talk about your character defects, what you know what still exists, how you work on it? Um, they became the, my, the, the biggest two events which made it very clear was getting Terrell as a sponsor and getting married uh, because it is so easy to avoid I did a fourth step with the first sponsor and I think my first one was the columns and the second one was by one of the workbooks and this time uh, Terrell and I go through every piece of literature and I read a paragraph and write a paragraph so I go through the steps that way not very ceremoniously but uh, and the traditions and um, it's also gotten me to another 12-step program because I realized that both by being married and also being uh, being at the, the career I'm in anybody who claims that they're a uh, helper of people who's not a codependent is hallucinating uh, one of my mentors, a, a famous guy who's written a lot of books and has TV shows and stuff, he was one of my teachers back in the uh, uh, 80s and 90s, and he said, if you're going to work for me, you're, I mean, if you're in this field, you're a codependent. So, that's a given. If you're going to work for me, you're going to go to Al-Anon, ACA, CODA, or you're not going to work here. He said, I'm not sure I can do that. I'm not sure it's legal, but that's the way it is. And though I don't go enough to Al-Anon, uh, I don't go reluctantly anymore and I don't go to look for the differences between me and the people. There was a time when I was going er uh, every Saturday after this meeting right to the one that used to be uh, across from the law cabin uh, because uh, uh, I'm scared a lot, I'm selfish a lot. I'm, I mean, it's easy for me to see my wife's character defects and then focus in on them as opposed to me seeing that uh, I'm selfish, I have the ego structure of a baby and uh, my first reaction is to rant and rave. I mean, I, I all but stopped my feet. You know, at the time I would have learned how to... I guess babies are two, the terrible twos, they stomp. I stomped and learned very early they didn't want me to stomp. And so at about 14 or 15, when I was about to start in an adult way to stomp, my mom died and I, I couldn't play that back to somebody, so I kept my stomping to myself. And uh, now I get to talk about being angry. I get to talk about my temptation to want to be selfish. Uh, I decided years ago... I was really cheap with money. I was fearful about money. So if we go out to lunch, um, first we had a fight and now we're going to lunch. That's how recovery works. Um, if hers was $8 and mine was 10 for the first 30 years of my life, I'd say we should split it because that way it's $9 each and I save a buck. And now, because of that, I learned that if hers is 10 and mine is 8 then I'll split them. I'll be glad to put in the extra dollar. I don't want to count the money. Why? Because I screwed over a lot of people. And now when I have lunch with people, for the first 15 years of my career, my career was so busy that I made everybody come. Made them. I mean, I, I told them, I can't have lunch unless you come to Brentwood. So yeah, you know, people were coming from, I don't know, uh, you know Camarillo, San Diego, uh, because I controlled it. And now, I'll, if I have lunch with somebody at lunchtime, if I can work it in my schedule, I'll drive to them. And I've had people say, you sure? You came here the last 14 times. Oh no, it's fine. And it really is because... Uh, everything about me pulls to be selfish. Uh, I don't get in food at the, the break fast. I mean, if you don't think I want to be first in line, uh, and you know what? I wound up getting near the back of the line and figuring, cross my fingers a little bit to say, it'll probably be enough food. 
and to, to trust that. So they come out, and, and I, I, you know, like when I go to therapy, I give my therapist, and I, Carol didn't need my permission, but I've given him permission to bust me in any way, in any fashion he sees fit, because I know he's going to do it wisely and lovingly. And so if he points out a theme, a pattern, uh, I don't have to like it, but I do have to listen to it. I choose to say I have to listen to it. So uh, uh, I, I have no choice, but they, they have to look at that stuff today. And sometimes I see it. Sometimes friends point it out to me. Uh, sometimes a therapist points it out to me. And uh, I'm not going anywhere. So if I know I'm not going anywhere, um, I'm, just, I'm just evolving. And so I'll, I'll be more that will come out more than will come out and uh, I'll deal with them when I have to yeah Carol um, Dodgers oh I'm sorry <laughs> but, but so important thank you for sharing did you I'm, I'm guessing most people do uh, did you have trouble processing grief you had such grief at such a young I still do That's a great. You, you know what? I've accepted the fact that I have buried that shit so deep that um, I'm one of the few people I know that likes going to funerals. I don't go out of my way to go, but I but I go and I don't avoid it. Um, and I, I really I don't know. I kind of haven't said this to anybody. I learned about where I come from. My dad, about a year before he passed away, was had been for many years in a facility, and uh, his only friend at the facility uh, died. And I said to him, will you be going to the guy's funeral? And my dad said, oh, no, no, no. And I said, why? He said, oh, no, no, I, 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 are you kidding? I, 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 I would just cry. And I realized, um, the, uh, so what I do is I, I go to funerals when it's appropriate. I love being told about a movie that will make me cry. And general, oh, um, tell her hello. Um, uh, I love going to movies that make me cry, and I don't I don't fight it when I don't fight it, but I don't access it very easily. I really, really don't. Uh, when my dad died, I didn't cry initially, and I was thinking there was something wrong with me. And then before the service, they asked us at the cemetery. They asked us if my wife and I wanted to go. Uh, I was it backstage, whatever it's called, <laughs> behind the curtain. <laughs> Vanna, you want to go behind the curtain? Um, so I went behind the curtain, and uh, the casket was open, and. Um, I did exactly what I had done with my mother-in-law and my father-in-law uh, and my uh, most relevant aunt and my second most relevant aunt. I went right up to the body and I just stared at them, stared at my dad, and I lost it. And I was so glad because it really released that stuff that I... When I was 14 and I went to my mom's funeral over at the hillside, I remember that she was the baby of five and all four of them were there and they and their children who many of whom were older than me, their children, uh, were wailing. My mom was 44, and they were old. They were up to like in their 60s. And um, I saw wailing that, that reminded me of films from the concentration camps, and I, I, I didn't say anything. I just realized I ain't going there. And so I'm really, really slow. I think I'll sit down one day with a picture of Carol uh, and Natalie together, and I'll look at that picture of Natalie, and I'll, I'll, it'll probably hit me then. But I fight it, so that's not an area that's, uh, 
healed yet, and it comes when it comes, but I'm so glad that I cried over that. Sometimes the, uh, the prayers on the high holidays uh, get me to tears. They didn't, and I felt badly because the people around me seemed like everybody was crying. But I, I, just, uh, I, I just didn't yet, and I've got to be accepting of that little boy who is too scared to do it sometimes and feels free and safe enough to do it other times and just to give him an environment of uh, invitation and curiosity rather than one of criticism like I would have gotten. So, Don? What do you think is the most profound change between the way you were, say, five years in the program and the way you are today? Um, great question. Oh, I haven't been repeating them. What, is, what do I think is the big, most profound uh, change in me between five years in the program and now? I was all about, when I got here, I was about therapy and the food. That's all. I carried uh, salad dressing in my glove compartment. Uh, I, I'm the adult child of a Jewish accountant, so I was counting calories in my head. Because uh, I could do that in my, in my head, in my sleep. Uh, I don't deal with, the, in fact, you know what, I'll, I'll, I'll pull my cover. About three months ago, somebody who was near and dear to me told me that they were doing a program on the cell phone. And I started, uh, they suggested it might, I, you know, might be interesting to do. I plug in, in addition to sending my food every day, I haven't missed one meal sending it to my food sponsor. So I am methodical about that. But you know what? I don't think about the food very much anymore. Uh, when I went to break fast, I knew there'd be something to eat when I go. I used to call ahead at fancy places for weddings and ask what the main dish was going to be and ask if they could get me fruits on the side afterwards. It was very controlling and very fear-based. I go there now and there'll be enough or there won't be enough. So I think what's happened over time, and I'm grateful, is that as obsessed with the food as I was in the beginning, if somebody asked me for today what's relevant in the program, I would say, God, the steps... Surrender, prayer, turning it over, service. And I would not have said that in the beginning. I would say a food plan. I would have agreed with the food plan guy. But again, to, to finally quote Natalie, uh, she was the one who told me, it is about the food and it's not about the food and it is about the food and it's not about the food. And I said to her, either that's profound or you're, a, you're, a, you're an idiot. And um, <laughs> it, was, it was very much the former. Um, until the food was in order. Recovery for me was only about the food, and I think it has to be, because until the alcoholic isn't drinking, working the steps is, is somewhat uh, uh, futile. And so uh, the food had to be about the food while food was still at issue. And then once it's not about the food anymore, you get to do what program is really about, which is everything else. So that I, and I've learned that slow, and I wouldn't have bet a dollar at year five that I, that I would change my attitude. It was going to be diets forever, because it was diets forever. Michael? We sure did. You know what? I started taking classes seven or eight years ago. Look, I, I, I rebelled against that, your, yours and my experience, with, 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 again, with relish. I, I, you know, I mean, I, I rejected it. If there was a God, I came into Hebrew school with uh, not believing in God. We never talked about God. We were Jewish. You know? <laughs> um, and then when asked as an older person, I said, if there was a God, Hitler, why did he, Hitler couldn't have killed six million Jews and my mother wouldn't be dead. 
And now I take these Chabad classes where I talk to other people you and I know with big red beards that aren't Santa Claus. And, um, and, and uh, the willingness, the willingness to be exposed to it. I heard things this year in Temple, for example, that if they were in a sermon, I would expect they would never have heard them before. Rabbi, I've never heard before. But they were quoting things from the books. And I swore that stuff is new. And apparently nothing's much new in Judaism anymore. <laughs> that stuff's been like, you know. And I'm hearing things I didn't hear before. Openness, honesty, and willingness. And I, I'm open to hearing it. So I go to these uh, Chabad classes and I learn what I learn. And some of it resonates. I would say I'm a better Jew. But you know what? I'm not particularly religious. But I did, I, for whatever reason, Michael, I resonated with that stuff more than you did. And don't forget, I was there longer too. I got it. The seeds were planted a lot more. So that's another reason to stay uh, I, had, I had to go to Hebrew school and I didn't want to. Nobody's going to make you stay here. But what you might find is you don't want to leave. Um, and I hope that that's your experience too. Um, I guess that's all. If you have any other questions, talk to me afterwards. It's fine. Thanks. Thank you. <laughs>